Man, I, um, I just really, really found myself enjoying that worship set. And when I think about why, I think um, Peter said so well about the benefits and the joys of life in Christ, in Christ in me. And this is a message that has blown my life apart in a good way. <laughs> I think it's probably been about four and a half years or so since I first encountered this, the message of my life and um, life in Christ and, and drawing um, my strength from Christ rather than from my own efforts. And man, I think about what that, what, how that has changed me. It's been amazing. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of change that still has to happen. And one of the, one of the biggest areas that God's been pointing out to me uh, has to do with fear. And um, I might not come across this way, but I'm actually pretty fearful. Um, there are some things that don't scare me. Like the people say public speaking is like one of the top fears. I'm not really too scared of public speaking, but there's a pile of other things that freak me out like, like instantly. And not like in kind of a fun way or a funny way. Um, like chest gets tight, can't take a deep breath. I, it's happening right now. <laughs> I, my palms start to sweat. My thoughts are scattered. I suddenly become like this, this blithering person who can't put two thoughts together. And it's not like cool things that make me scared about, like that make me freaked out either. Like driving. I'm glad no one's laughing. Thank you. Uh, driving someplace new. If I have to travel for more than half an hour, I get really nervous. I'll actually look for ways to get out of it. I'll look for ways to somehow just change the situation so either I'm not the one driving or I'm not alone. Um, competition. Competition freaks me out. And so my close friends will know that I hate games. And the reason, the reason I hate games is because I'm, I'm afraid of competition. I'm afraid of being measured. Um, my friends also tell you I have this really weird fear of being thrown in prison. Um, it's not funny, okay? <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but it still freaks me out. Um, something else that freaks me out a lot is when my kids get sick. And not like just colds, like, but for some reason fevers terrify me. Uh, my kid's getting a fever. And this past February, uh, I think it was February, um, my little guy Thorin, he came down with a fever. He woke up in the morning, he seemed okay. By like 10 o'clock, he was, he was running, maybe 100 degrees, nothing too intense, so we kind of put him down for a nap. And he woke up middle of the afternoon, and his fever's at 103. And I was like starting to feel this, like this low-lying, it wasn't panic, but it was like that deep anxiety. Um, so I went to, so Sarah was holding him, he just felt so hot, and uh, so I went to get him some Advil, and I was just, just about to give him the Advil, and he went into a seizure. And... Uh, Grand mal, grand mal seizure, little body just locked up, locked up tight. His face went red and then blue and then purple. He had totally stopped breathing. And his eyes rolled back in his head. Um, so you can imagine what I was going through. See, in, this, in situations where fear happens to me, it's like, this is kind of what takes place. There's like a seed thought that sort of dropped in my mind. Like, and then this like paint by numbers picture just like explodes in my brain. And my mind starts to fill in, fill in the emotions, fill in the terrible, the terrible pictures um, with, with gritty color. And at the end of it, I am just paralyzed, frozen. And yeah, 
fear leaps from my peripheral vision right into the forefront. I was, I was scrambling. Um, the only thing I could think of was to call 911 right away, and I was running around looking for my phone, and it was in my pocket, and then I like couldn't remember my passcode, and I finally made it, made the call to 911, and I was having a hard time talking. I was like just barely keeping back sobs. Like I was paralyzed with fear. So last week during the sermon, Ross played a clip by a guy Graham Cook, and it was an example of like what an encouragement looks like, or what a prophetic word would be looking like. And one of, the, one of the phrases that came in that was the phrase, perfect love casts out fear. And he said, it, uh, God's love damages fear and it erodes fear. So I heard all that, those words. And right away, like people say fear, I know what that feels like. And that just leapt into my mind. There's a, memories of like a million other terrifying situations that I found myself in. And before, the chance I had a, before I had a chance to censor my prayer... I was like, well, I, I said a swear word, and then I said, Perk God, you say that perfect love casts out fear, it damages fear, and it erodes fear. If that's, if that's true, and I'm filled with you, and I'm filled with your love, why am I still so afraid? And right away, Father responded, Josh, I want to spend time talking with you about this this week. So I knew I was preaching today, last week, and I had no clue what to preach about, and God told me, I was like, hmm. So I've been arguing, I mean, talking with God all week, and it's been really hard, I mean, really good. Um, and today I want to share a few bits of my conversation that God and I have had this past week. Um, but basically, really, it comes down to three things. My understanding of what fear is, uh, is wrong. God's giving me a new understanding of fear. Um, I'm also having a new understanding of what, what I am and what my life is. And God's, God's bringing a new understanding that's, that's changing the way that I'm interacting with fear. And I'm also growing into a brand new understanding of what God is like. And that's a really, really big one. So I'll be touching on a few different scriptures this morning. Um, probably the major one is 1 John 4, or 1 John 4, 15 to 19. And I'll just read that, and then we'll pray and get on with things. So, so 1 John 4, starting at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear of love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Father, this past week has been pretty wild for me. There's been a lot of crazy stuff you've been working with me through, and um, I'm a little excited and a little freaked out to share some of our conversations this morning. But Father, I pray that, um, well, I know that you're present. I know that you're with me, and I pray that uh, you would speak your words through me. Um, yeah, amen. Okay, so um, when I was a kid, like eight, nine years old, there was this old sugar maple tree. Well, it's still there, it's, but uh, there's this old sugar maple tree beside our house, that had grown up on a bit of an angle. And I loved to climb this tree, but I had this very clear sense of my own capacity. And so there's a certain point where I just wouldn't climb any higher than that. And then one time I was like, you know what, I feel like I could probably push past today. So um, I did, I went, I went further up the tree than I ever had before, and it was equal parts fun and terrifying. And I felt like I was the closest to the very tippy top of this tree that I'd ever, ever been before. 
And in my mind's eye, it's like really, really high. It's probably not nearly as high as I remember it being, but I was like, okay, this is great. It started to blow, the wind started to blow and that really freaked me out, the tree was swaying. It's like, okay, it's time to, time to come back down. And not too long, my foot slipped. And I was just inching backwards down the tree and adrenaline just flooded my body. And it seems a little bit silly, but I can remember the feeling of the bark just like, in, like just being forced into my arms, just clenching as tight as I could. I remember that so well, and I can remember, like, I can feel this prayer. I, I prayed, um, dear God, please let me get down safely. Please let me climb down. Please let me be safe. And I think back on that, I'm like, man, that's such an interesting choice of words. Like, God, let me, please let me do this. Like, in those words in my prayers, like, thinking back, like, those weren't really uncommon. And I had this idea that unless God let things turn out well, everything would go south. And when I think back to that, my suspicions have to do um, that the roots of this belief had to do with my reading habits. So um, I've learned that kids are amazing recorders of information, but they're really, really bad interpreters of information. And so when I think back to my childhood and think about, like, I was a voracious reader. Like, if it had words, I would read it. Um, and in church, I was allowed to bring Bibles, so I would read the Bible. Only interesting, only the interesting parts, like judges, you know, uh, the 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 armies, killing, death. Sometimes I go to Song of Solomon if I get, get feel guilty really fast, and then go back somewhere else. <laughs> so the, the exciting, the action parts, those are my favorite. Those are my favorite parts uh, to read. Um, and my little kid brain soaked up all these great stories, and but it began to draw warped conclusions uh, from them. So the, one of them being, God is a great friend until you let him down and then watch your back. Like you read about the children of Israel falling away and then the enemy armies come and put them all into slavery and then they, they repent and okay, great, everything's back in. That's what I felt like my, the Christian life was like. That's what I thought God was like. He's super powerful. He could do no wrong. And he was willing to inflict pain on you in order for you to learn a lesson. God loves you and had a plan for you. And that plan might totally ruin your life, but it'd be worth it in the end. But no guarantees. If you towed the line, God would swoop in and save the day and hand out shiny gold stars. And if you did not, he would find the nearest rogue nation and sick them on you. So of all the stories in the Old Testament, the one that freaked me out the most was Job. This great guy, awesome family, awesome life. And then God lets it all fall apart. And there's something about that story that just sunk deep into me. And for much of my life, like even up to the last few years, I've had this deep down conviction that at some point, God was going to destroy my life. And, it, and I, I knew he loved me, but I also knew that he saw the big picture and I just saw the little picture. And there might be some reason why God blowing my life apart would be for the greater good, right? So I was like, there's no guarantees that bad things weren't going to happen to me. And so, you know, little 10-year-old Josh, he knew God was all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything. And there are hordes of demons from hell constantly out to get me, and God was just standing in the way, stopping them, but occasionally he might step by and let a few through. So as a result of this, I lived a lot of my childhood life, I think a lot of my adult life too, sort of like this sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for this terrible thing, I think this vague sense of guilt, constantly struggling with letting people down, letting God down, and um, it wasn't great, <laughs> it wasn't fun. Um, into my teens and 20s though, it felt like fear took a back seat, and I think about that, I was like, I think it's because of certain friends that I had. 
Um, I found myself doing things and caught up in situations that a normal fearful person would never, never be. So I'm just going to really briefly let you know. Um, I'm not going to tell you the, the bigger story. You'll have to talk about me later. Uh, there was a time when I was hiding from a police helicopter in some, some squad cars in first year in school. Um, I was lost uh, hiking a mountain and caught in a snowstorm. Um, a friend convinced me to climb a ski hill in Lake Louise after hours, and we were escorted off the grounds by security. So Aaron and Steve and Matt, thank you, I think. <laughs> um, if I ever stopped to think about it at that time, I thought that I'd beaten fear for good. Because look at all these crazy situations I found myself in. And then the stakes in my life increased. I got married, I had some kids, and the fear was back in a big way. And I'd say, in the last year, I've realized my life had shrunk, gotten smaller and smaller as a result of decisions I was making. Um, I would go four or five days without leaving the house. It's easy to do because I work from home, but I would avoid leaving the house. I'd avoid driving long distances. Um, filled me with dread. I would feel a spike of adrenaline any time a client emailed me and I wasn't expecting them to because, crap, something must be wrong, I must have screwed up somehow. My stomach would drop every time my wife would initiate a conversation with me that felt serious. I was like, oh no, oh dear, something's happened. Um, if any of our kids ever got sick, anxiety is through the roof. And over the past year, I've been experiencing enormous freedom from this, and I think a large part due to understanding that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, but I also know there's so much more growth and freedom that God has for me. Um, and a big part is, you know, a new understanding of what fear actually is. And when I think about sort of some of the stories and just descriptions of my life that I've been sharing with you, I think for me, fears it's always been a radar, right? A radar kind of tells you what's out there, tells you what's coming. But it's like for me, um, someone took that radar and increased it to its maximum range and its maximum sensitivity. So things that I guess were technically possible, but very, very unlikely, felt like they were real and they were going to happen. And my life was not really going well. Um, so this week, God brought me to 1 John 4, which we read earlier. And there's so much good stuff in that passage. Um, some parts are a little harder for me to swallow than other parts. Um, but I'm going to just go, go through it verse by verse and pull out some of the stuff that God's been showing me. So first, uh, first section says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he abides in God. That's laying a groundwork. I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. That means that I am connected to God and God is connected to me. Um, he abides in me and I abide in him permanently. That's my default setting now. Um, we have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. I read that, and uh, the phrase come to know jumps out at me right away. And I, to me, I see a, a progression there. And that's, there's going to be more that we're going to uh, dig into a little bit. But the idea of coming to know God, like the abiding that happens immediately, but then coming to know God is something that, that uh, takes time. It happens more gradually. Um, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Again, so abiding in God, it means I am abiding in love. There's that God is love. That's the best one-word description for God that there possibly is. Um, so this is, where, this is where things get dicey. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. So for this, I went into the interlinear Bible. If you go on Google and you type in interlinear Bible, it'll show you um, the, the original Greek of any biblical text with the direct, direct translation. So that's an awesome tool for me in my, my devotion for, for studying for this week, for example. 
the interesting thing, so love is perfected. So the phrase is perfected, um, I'm going to butcher this, to teletai, and it's uh, a Greek word, and it describes the process of completion. And the, um, the best analogy for that is if you imagine like a pirate telescope, right? They pull it out, and then they, then they unfold it, right? Section by section, it slowly becomes the full telescope. And that's kind of the impression that's here. Uh, that, that, that this verb is giving is that love is perfected section by section. It's kind of unfolded over time. Um, it's unfolded in my life section by section, understanding by understanding, to the point of completion. So what this is telling me is that as time goes on, and as I experience life, and as I experience um, circumstances, and as I allow Father to speak to me and show me his love incrementally over time, um, the experience of love in my life becomes more and more complete. The next section, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love, um, so there's two words there. So it's uh, talai and agape. So talai um, has this idea of completion or wholeness. And then agape means absolute perfect benevolence. And that is the description of God. So obviously that, that's pretty at odds with the God that I, the picture of, I was painting earlier um, that, I, that I have in my head. Um, so love casts out fear. So to cast out is uh, balai, and that's where the word ballistics comes from. So, you know, shooting something really far, excuse me, really, really far away. There's actually a weaker form of the, of the verb, and the secondary meaning has to do um, with rather than like throwing away, but putting away and placing away. And for some reason, it doesn't really make sense, but that actually resonates with me so well because God is picking up something and he's moving it somewhere else. It implies complete control. And it implies like absolute control over the thing that he's moving. The, weird, the word fear, um, the root word is phobos. And that's where we get the word phobia from. So terror, fright, alarm, all those things I was describing earlier. But then, then there's another layer to the meaning of fear, which I'd always missed and never really saw. And that has to do with the source or the object of fear. And so God can take and remove the source or the object of fear. And when I compare that with my feelings, I'm realizing I can be afraid of something that's gone. Like my kids are like that. Like I see that all the time. Like they're terrified of movies, uh, of like some scary movies. Like there's nothing literally there to be afraid of, but it's still playing havoc on my emotions and my feelings. And so for me, God showed me this this week. as like, man, so the things that I'm feeling are not accurate depictions of what's actually true. And that's where the radar t- uh, thing comes, uh, comes into play. Like things that are really far away that may never, ever happen, may never even come anywhere close to me. I'm terrified that it might. I think what God showed me this week, and we're going to get into this a little more, but is the idea that fear is actually more of like a light on the dashboard. And it indicates that there's something that needs further examination. It's like the light on the, the engine light doesn't mean you go get a new car right away. It's like, okay, there's something under the hood that needs to be dealt with. So when you get somebody who knows what they're doing to come and look at it. And that's what fear actually is. Um, anyway, um, this is an interesting part, the next part as well, because fear involves punishment. The first time I read that, I was like, I don't get the punishment thing at all. Um, but living in fear is my whole life has been waiting for the other shoe to drop. This idea that God is going to step back and allow my world to collapse because of something that I didn't do well. Um, when push comes to shove, I think about what is actually there, like behind that specific thought for me, is that 
at the end of the day, I am actually alone. Like, yes, I have God. But if God steps back and lets terrible things happen to me, he's like, you're just going to have to deal with this until you're ready to turn back to me. Like, that's telling me at the end of the day, I actually believe I'm actually truly alone and that God is my ally only as long as I'm pleasing him. And if there's anything that I'm seeing from here, like these verses, like I abide in God, I abide in love. Like he is pleased with me and not because of anything that I've done. Like this deep down belief that I have that God's pointed out to me this week is, um, it's a total lie. The fact of the matter is like terrible things do happen. And like my kid did have a a seizure and it was horrible. Like bad things have happened in my life. So I can't, this verse isn't saying that that's not going to happen to me. It's going to say that in the middle of that, I am absolutely 100% not alone. And God is with me. Um, another side of things that folds into this, I think, really uh, really clearly is this idea that of, of circumstances and that my fear is based in circumstances. But the reality of the matter is, like, no, it's not. Because I saw a change from my teen years to this year where nothing bad happened, but... I was giving ground to fear little by little. And I went from being the kind of person who was hunted by police helicopters and squad cars. That sounds way worse than it actually is. It's not nearly as terrible as it sounds. But being in situations like that where I'm pushing myself to the edge to, I don't leave the house for five days. Like nothing happened to make me that way. It was just this kind of weird progression of constantly giving into fear and and my life gets smaller and smaller because of the fear of circumstances that might end up happening. And so... Fear is not rooted in circumstances. There's something deeper beneath that. And I believe like it's a different lie for everybody. Uh, for me, the lie was that bad things are going to happen and because it's punishment from God and I'm on my own to figure it out until I finally figure it out some way and then God will shine the, the warm light of his benevolence on me once again. But that, that couldn't be further from the truth. So... Again, so this passage tells me fear is a light on the dashboard indicating the need and the opportunity for deeper trust. Fear means there's something going on and I need a new area that I need to experience Father's love in. Um, This awareness of fear being a dashboard light instead of radar has done a couple of crazy things for me. Number one, it silences shame in my life because this other layer to it is every time I feel fear, there's this weird, nasty, sinister voice in my head that's like, you should be better. You shouldn't struggle with fear. You don't trust God. Boy, you are a terrible Christian. And when I realized that, no, fear is just, fear is something that happens when, I, when there's an area where I'm not experiencing God's love, then, then fear is no longer something for me to be ashamed of. It's, it's like a waving flag. It's like, hey, you need God's love in this area. Like, And so it's one of those things, the enemy means it for harm. Like he wanted to shrink my life and he wants to shrink my life, but it's an opportunity to actually experience God in a brand new, exciting new way. Um, The second thing that this verse is is doing for me is it's giving me hope. There's a solution for my struggle. And I can expect that as I learn to look to Jesus more and more um, with, in these areas of, of fear, that fear's grip on my life will loosen more and more. Now, I want to be really, really clear about something. Um, I'm not saying that God is loving me more and more because I'm abiding in God and God is love. Like, I have as much love as I can possibly handle. The problem is that there's a whole bunch of areas in my life where my, because of my history, because of my past, where 
my capacity to receive that love is so tightly diminished. And so what God is, is, is showing me that is that this fear that I'm wrestling through, they're actually like little pockets of me where, where I don't have a high capacity to receive the love that God has for me. And as I engage with God in these areas, my capacity to receive that love is increasing. And then fear is actually like it's, it's, it's grip of my life is getting looser and looser. Um, uh, another really huge thing this, this, this passage is telling me is that the source of my fear is gone. It's been removed. Loneliness, rejection, those things don't have the same shaking earthquake strength type of uh, hold on me that they used to have because Father has pledged his undying loyalty to me. Now, this isn't a promise of God that he's gonna mess with my circumstances and bend events to make sure that I never feel fear. That's not true. Like, there's like so hard to, to believe that and actually read the Bible. Like he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like my circumstances are not some sort of prerequisite for feeling fear where, or to, for feeling love. Um, I can experience the full brunt of God's love in the midst of terrifying, terrifying circumstances. Um, the other thing is, uh, and I've said this already, the more I experience Father's love, the less that fear impacts me. God knows that my capacity to receive and experience his perfect love is as limited as my own willingness to trust him with my well-being, both my internal well-being and my external safety. And God is committed to proving that love to me in the midst of my fear. We're going to get into that because that's something else that's really big, the idea of proving himself to me. That's We'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes too. So... Um, so yeah, so one of the other major things that God's been doing with me this past week is showing me that uh, and revealing a new understanding of my life. And this thing directly touches on the, the lifestyle of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, not everyone will necessarily be able to identify with that. Um, and that's okay. This is just me telling my own story here. And, um, but the, the major thing that God used in this was this passage from um, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7. And so the, the book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to one of his uh, mentees, I guess, a partner in ministry, a guy named Timothy. So Timothy was a young pastor, mentored by Paul. And uh, Paul wrote two books to him, the first Timothy and second Timothy. And second Timothy is, is widely considered to be one of the last letters that Paul actually wrote because he was um, executed not long after second Timothy was actually written. And so um, when you read it, you can kind of get this sense of urgency. Like Paul's like, listen, there's a few really, really important things that you need to know. Like my time is growing short. Here's some really important stuff, Timothy, for you to know. And so God used this, this book. Uh, he's continued to use it in my life. But um, this, the couple verses specifically, so verse, uh, 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So the first, uh, the first verse, um, there are a couple key things that stood out to me. So the first is like the, this gift of God. Um, so gift, uh, the word, root word there is charisma, and it's uh, talking about, has a strong implication of like a gift of grace. And it's the sense that I get as I'm studying this is God saying, hey, listen, we're going to journey through life together, and this is going to be really important for you as we, as we journey through life. This is going to be one of the things that I'm going to use to speak to you, but you're also going to use to, to grow and to impact the lives of the community that you're, that you're in as you grow. Um, 
it's almost like this gift uh, is, is part of the invitation to, to an adventure with God. I remember, um, <laughs> this is probably like six or seven years ago, um, my wife and I just bought a car, and it was a standard car. I didn't know how to drive standard, and I was terrified to learn. And so Sarah drove everywhere for the first year that we had the car, and that winter was horrible. Um, and because I, when I'm afraid, I want more control. And the worst place to have control is the driver's seat of a car on a wintry day. And I remember um, just Sarah driving. She's a great driver. Uh, Sarah's driving. And then I'm just like feeling so much fear and like literally cuddle up against, um, cuddled is a too strong word, literally like just, just holding on as tight as I can to the handle of the, of the car and feeling just the, warm, the cool of the glass warming my face. I'm like, God, if this is adventure, I don't want it. I remember saying that really clearly. Um, but this idea is like, for me, I was looking at like fear was, um, fear is something that is just part and parcel of life. And I can't get around it. Like, it's just going to happen. And what was hap- what's, I see what happens in my life is that as I'm on this journey that God has me on, he's bringing me like wonderful people to, to walk with this journey with me. I am experiencing so much fear. And when I choose to focus on that rather than focusing on what God is doing and in the direction that we're going, I, I'm going to miss out on stuff. And that's what was happening. Like I was missing out on, I'm sure the, I'm sure it's beautiful. And my wife was definitely hundred percent beautiful, but I wasn't seeing it because I was terrified. Anyway, um, the second part of, uh, so verse seven, this, this was the, this was the kicker for me. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So timidity means shrinking back. I'm like, okay, shrinking back doesn't sound too bad. It says uh, lack of courage. I'm like, well, not everybody gets courage, you know? And then the other verse is cowardice. I'm like, oh, like that one hurt me bad. Like I did, like the thought of being a coward just, oh man, just makes me want to vomit. And then the next is like, that's that spirit, that idea, like that identity, like me thinking I'm a fearful person. That is not what God gave me. That's not the real Josh. The real Josh has power and love and discipline. Like God gave me the Holy Spirit and that's what I have. I'm a believer and abiding in God is my natural resting place. That's my default setting. Now I have the Holy Spirit within me and nothing can ever dislodge him. So what this passage is telling me is that the fearful, anxious Josh is not the real Josh. That guy, he was crucified on the cross with Christ. Like that's the truth of the matter. And so for me to feel fear, even though the source of the fear has been removed, and then to let that fear to overwhelm me and overtake me, and I'm not saying that the, the experience or the feelings are overwhelming, overpowering. I'm saying that's the wrong thing, but just to, just to swallow that lie wholeheartedly, like that is, that is me like not accepting who God says that I actually am. Um, my heart is not cowardly. The cowardly Josh is crucified with Christ. The real Josh is courageous, powerful, disciplined, focused. And when I'm acting out of my true, when I'm not acting out of my true identity, the answer is not, okay, try harder, fight the feelings. Just don't let the, you're not a fearful guy. Don't let the fear come. Like the right reaction is not to fight against the fear. The, the solution is, is to look to father. And that's one of the second major things this passage is telling me is that Father's gift of the Holy Spirit means that the real me is, God, is full of love. I'm loved. 
I'm, I'm full of power and the power is not mine. It does not coming from me. It's, it's coming from God. And I'm, I'm focused. I can have discipline. And so in the midst of the horrible uh, sensation of fear and anxiety that I experience, I can look through that and say, okay, what is this fear? What is this paint by numbers picture? What is this telling me about God? What is this telling me about me? And then what's the truth? What's the truth that's going to carry me through this terrifying experience of fear? Uh, interesting side note. Um, I remember thinking this week, was like, oh man, this, this stuff is so good. I just, I know I get it in my head. I just need to get it in my heart. Just like, you know, get the head to the heart. And then it just, God said to me so quickly, like, no, that's wrong. That's false. Like I gave you a new heart. This stuff is already in your heart. It's got to go the other way. It's got to go from your heart to your head. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. It's like, no, you're not an idiot. You're awesome. Anyways. <laughs> so the idea that I have to get stuff from my head to my heart is backwards. Um, the work in my heart was done on the cross. I've been given a brand new heart. I'm one with Christ, perfect and complete. I tell, my kid, tell, tell it to my kids all the time. Um, the work in my heart is done. And it's my mind that needs the help. That's why you see all through the scripture, renewing of your mind, taking every thought captive, all that type of thing. So the last... Um, the last wolf. Uh, this is just the beginning of a huge journey for me, I know for sure. But one of, the, one of the final things that God's been doing this week is showing me that my inner concept of who he is and what he's like, this guy who's holding this shoe over my head, that's not, that's not the real God. Um, psalm 91 was something that I've, I've spent a lot of time with this week. And it's a long psalm and I have nine minutes so I'm just going to read a couple of select verses, um, and I'm going to read actually a paraphrase of Psalm 91 that a guy named Brian Simmons did. And it just speaks and it sings to my heart. I'm like 95% sure I won't cry, but you know. Um, so when you sit enthroned under the shadow of Almighty, so he's talking to me, you are hidden in the strength of God most high. He is the hope that holds me, the stronghold that shelters me. Oh, 5%, okay. The only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from his false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are their shield, keeping you from harm. You'll never have to worry about attack of demonic forces at night, nor ever have to worry about a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by night or by day, demonic anger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. And then jumping down to verse 14. Here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you have delighted in me as my great lover, I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray. You will find and feel my presence, even in your time of pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero. I will give you a feast. You will be satisfied with full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. So that whole thing, it's just, it's like singing to my heart. It just, oh, it's like cool water, man. It just, oh, it feels so good. And like that truth just sinks right deep into me. Um, and one of the things that God showed me this week uh, is actually right in the end in verse 14. And it's kind of like God saying, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you the job descriptions what you can expect from me and what I can expect from you. So God's saying, my job is to greatly protect you. I will, I will protect you. I will set you in a high place. I will answer your help, your cry for help. I will be your hero. 
I'm like, okay, great job. I'm like, okay, so what do you want me to do? Ready to go. You, you will find and feel my presence. You will be satisfied with a full life. You will enjoy fullness of salvation. And God showed me this thing. was like, man, his job is to do, and my job is to receive. That just goes so at odds with everything that I feel like is right. Like this inner sense of, you know, I have to show up. I have to do my work. And if I do well, I get gold stars from Jesus. And like there, I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. I can, but that's not at all the truth. Like that is not at all what God is saying. God's job here, he's like, I'm going to prove my love to you. I'm going to prove it. He's not saying I'm going to teach you. He's saying, I'm going to prove it to you. My job is to be convinced by God. My job is not, not to learn. And those two things are very similar, but there are a couple key differences that I want to highlight. So when it comes to learning, if I'm going somewhere to learn something, then there's information that's being presented, and my job is to engage with it, and my job is to figure out how it all works together, and then understand it, and then make it real in my life. That's what, that's what learning is. Something being proven to you is, all right, I'm, I'm open to hearing what you have to say, but you have to make it make sense to me. And I think about that, I'm like, that is just, like, <laughs> don't take this to the bank necessarily, but what God is showing me is that when it comes to his love, I feel like I have to learn his love. And I feel like I have to work to get it. And God's like, no, no, no. When it comes to my love, I want you to look for it in the fear, and I promise you, you'll find it. And if you listen to things I'm telling you, I promise you, you will experience more and more of my love in the midst of your fear. And as time goes on, like I can already feel my fear releasing. Like I can already feel it, which is really, really exciting. Um, to the kid who grew up terrified of getting it wrong and earning divine wrath, this is all amazing. And when I read this, I feel like I see Father the way that he truly is. He's weeping with me through my pain. I see him cradling my heart, calming my panic nerves. This is who he is. It's pure love who won't let go. And then... I imagine my kids going through pain. I go back to Thorne and seeing Thorne in the middle of a seizure. I imagine my wife going through pain. And suddenly, everything changes. The, 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 that paint by numbers just flies right back up into my head, and it starts to fill itself in. And then, just last night, Father's reminding me of this story um, from uh, C.S. Lewis's The Narnia, Narnia series. And it's from the, the horse and his boy. And... Uh, the hero of the story, the main character is a guy, a kid named Sashta, or sorry, Shasta, who's raised far from home, place of squalor and save, uh, slavery, and then he escapes his captors, and he decides he's going to journey across enemy lands and through a desert to get to Narnia. And um, the, the king that he's searching, he's going to find safety with is a guy named King Loon. And then along the way, this girl joins him, Erebus, and they meet a couple of talking horses from Narnia, and they're all journeying together. Um, so as you might imagine, just piles and piles of terrible hardships. And one of those things is a, is a lion or a group of lions that are constantly chasing them and constantly attacking them. Then as the journey draws to an end, Shasta uh, is in the dark in a mountain. He hears a voice. And, uh, and the voice begins to speak to him. Uh, so I, this we're going to pick up. As Shasta gaped with an open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so you could reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion, you don't remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death 
so it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Then it was you who wounded Erebus? It was I. But what for? <sighs> Child, said the voice, I'm telling you your story, not hers. I will tell no one any story but his own. And when it comes to the fear that I experience on behalf of my kids, or on behalf of my wife, I come to this crazy spot where God's saying, listen, Josh, I'm only going to tell you your story. And God is going to, I have to trust that he's going to be faithful to my kids. But I can't be there and be faithful for them. And that fear is one of the hardest ones for me to let go. Will God be the same good God for them in their pain? And my brain's like, are, <laughs> listen, my brain's still telling me yes, my heart's telling me no, but it's actually the other way around. Like, um, when faced, uh, will, will God do the same for them in, in their pain? And when faced with fear and anxiety, uh, I find those three questions to be so helpful. What does this situation, what is this paint-by-numbers telling me about God? What is this paint-by-numbers picture telling me about me? And then what's the truth that will carry me through this experience? And as Thorne was caught in the grip of his seizure, my fear was just screaming that God was going to abandon Thorne and me both, leaving us alone to figure this out. My fear was screaming that a good dad would never let it come to this, that Thorne was going to die and somehow be my fault. The truth, though, is that my daddy God was right there in that room with us. He was cradling Thorne in his arms. He was holding me secure. He was giving us clarity. He was being who he is. He was love. And I can, I can still feel, and I still did feel that crash of emotions and all those crazy symptoms that come along with anxiety and fear. But I tell you the truth, there's, underneath it all was this weird calm. It was hardly perceptible, but the more the time went on, the more I could feel it was growing in strength. And it was a peace that didn't make sense. And it was an extension of Father's love that held me firm through the fear. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And you are love. And man, for some reason, this has just been something that has been the challenge of my life, of seeing you as love. And Father, I pray for everyone in here, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of what they're struggling with. I probably pray that, that you would, um, I thank you that I can have confidence that you have a special experience of your love, a love that overrides stress, that overwhelms fear, a love that dwarfs any terrible uh, feelings that we have. You have that for every single person. Thank you for your faithfulness to me this week. Thank you for showing me the truth about who I am and the truth of what you are. And in the picture of that, like compared to those, like fear just loses, your loses so much strength. Thank you, Jesus.